Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Let's be honest, these masks that we have to wear all the time, they are not great. Put it on, my glasses fog up, you get that weird like sweaty bubble around your chin, you know, like, uh, and who knows when you're supposed to wear them, when you're not to wear them. You have to wear them when you walk into a restaurant, but then you sit down, you don't have to wear them anymore. Uh, it's all very, very strange. And I was already bad at like spotting people. I don't know what it is. Like I see somebody, you know, across like a coffee shop and I'm like, do I know that person? Do I not know that person? And now you want to cover up two thirds of their face. There is no way that I can win in this situation. The other day, I'm just staring at this guy to the point where he starts staring back at me because I'm trying to figure out if it's somebody that I know. Turns out it was not. Then the other day, I step into the bank, I'm like standing there in line, and uh, this guy walks up behind me, and uh, he starts talking to me, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm just here to pull out some money, and he goes, oh man, I'm so sorry, I thought you were Tim, we're actually here to rob this place, and he pulls up his bandana, and he goes out to his stagecoach in the back, you know, that whole thing, like that makes it confusing, right? You never know who is like a western style bank robber from the 1830s, and who is a guy that just, you know, values public health. Now, I am not making any statement about masks. I know this is somehow turned into this big, you know, political thing and everyone gets all worked up in their feelings. Like, don't hear me wrong, I'm not really saying anything about it. I am saying that, uh, you know, it feels like there's just not like a great solution and that they're not great. Here's what's really interesting, and I find this image like very powerful and poignant, at least for what we're talking about today. The common language that a lot of us had to come to terms with, with this very idea of wearing masks, is the idea that I'm not wearing this mask for myself, I am wearing it for you, for the people that are around me. Like, I am wearing this mask so that hopefully I can stop my own spread. If I'm, you know, if I have COVID, then uh, I, this mask will help in inhibiting me from actually spreading it to someone else, or at least that's kind of the idea. So what this means is, it's like, I don't want to potentially get any of my germs or disease or grossness on you, so I wear the mask. Or how about this? Think about it another way. It's kind of like, I don't want to get any, I don't want to get any of my junk, any of the junk in me, even if it's something that I might be walking around with and be completely fine, even if it's something that I might not even know that I have, but it is inside of me, I don't want to get that on you. In fact, it is so toxic that it might even kill you. Like it could have an incredibly negative effect on you, even though I'm walking around as if nothing is wrong with me. We sort of naturally do that to ourselves, I think, in a deeper sense than just the virus. We don't want to meet someone new and they're like, hey man, uh, what's your name? And I'm like, oh, I'm Josh. And they're like, tell me about yourself. And you're like, well, I'm a narcissist with an inferiority complex. I drink too much and sometimes I don't text people back because I'm really, really, you know, trying to pretend that I'm important. No, that's not what we say. We say, oh, well, I'm into rock climbing and I have a really good job and I read a lot in my spare time because I'm incredibly smart and uh, you should be, try and be my friend if you can. Now that's like a crazy uh, exaggeration. But this is such a common skill, right? We're constantly pretending, we're constantly putting on masks, we're constantly presenting a version of ourself which is not necessarily true. 
right? So at work, you put on your professional mask. Maybe when you're hanging out with friends, you put on your funny masks. Like I'm gonna, this is like good time, Josh. I'm gonna go out and have a good time. Uh, maybe with family, you put on your like caring and listening mask. I'm not really sure what that is for you. And I'm not even necessarily sure that all of this is evil, right? But it is something that happens. And it happens uh, for the very first time when we are children. And we realize, and I don't know at what age this actually happens, but we realize that we can elicit a different reaction and response from the people around us based on the way that we present ourselves. So we go into a social situation. We say, I want these people to react in certain ways. I want these people to like me. I want these people to think I'm smart. I want these people to do this. And then because of that, even just as small children, we begin to present ourselves in a completely different way so that they will respond in a different way to us. And it's definitely better to be an authentic and consistent person, but we can't just flip a switch and make that happen overnight. Right? Like these masks we've been wearing so long and we've been putting on so many different ones of them uh, and, and they're so commonplace to us. It almost makes me think, this kind of scary thought, to ask the question of like, if we could actually take all of our masks off, would we even recognize the person at the bottom? Would we even recognize the person that we are? Like what if this mask wearing has an adverse effect on the deepest parts of ourselves, our most interior self? Like the most, or like the constant act of putting on masks, of wearing masks, is confusing us all the way down to the bottom to where we're not even really sure who we actually are. And I think in different degrees, this is actually happening to you and it's happening to me all the time. Speaking of masks, let's talk about Jim Carrey but not really in the way that you're thinking. I'm not gonna talk about The Mask though. It was a great movie and it does seem appropriate. Maybe we'll put that in the discussion questions for today. Uh, there's a documentary about a time when he made a film called The Man on the Moon. It's about a comedian that Carrie idolized named Andy Kaufman. And so uh, this guy, Andy Kaufman, he was a great comedian and he had a bunch of different characters, but what was really interesting about it, at least for uh, this documentary, is that Andy Kaufman had these characters that he would just dive so deeply into, sometimes he could not shake. Like he had this one guy that was called Tony Clifton and he was just awful and like he made people hate him. Like he was just sort of like a, a hateable kind of figure. And uh, Andy Kaufman would like put on this makeup to be Tony Clifton and he would like go out in public and people would be begging him to stop and like chasing him out and like getting in fights with him and stuff and he would not break character at all. One time he set up a wrestling match with a woman just to like be kind of hated by society. Like he would just get so deeply immersed into these characters that even his closest friends couldn't shake him out of it. And then he also had this very kind and loving sort of normal persona around the people that he loved. So now, in steps Jim Carrey, years later after Andy Kaufman has died, and Jim Carrey decides to play Andy Kaufman, and then going into the role, something strange happens. Jim Carrey's trying to, like, understand the life of Andy Kaufman, and so he's, you know, at times playing Andy Kaufman, playing Tony Clifton, and going out into the world, and then Jim Carrey himself, in diving so deeply into the character, and playing someone who's playing someone who's playing someone, starts to lose his own grip on reality. In fact, in the documentary, they show this time when he like goes to this big party, like this big sort of Hollywood party, dressed as Tony Clifton. So now, just to keep track, this is Jim Carrey pretending to be Andy Kaufman, who's pretending to be Tony Clifton. And Jim Carrey shows up at a party around people that should know him, right? Because he's Jim Carrey, and he shows up as Tony Clifton and will not break character for anything. 
People start to figure out who he is. People start getting frustrated with him because he's kind of ruining the party. They even ask him to take off the makeup or leave, and he ends up getting chased out of the party dressed as Tony Clifton. It's really fascinating, the documentary, and I don't want to ruin any more of it because you absolutely need to watch it. But what ends up happening is Jim Carrey, throughout the course of this filming, actually makes a transition in his life to where he is a different person from, you know, Dumb and Dumber, Ace Ventura person that we knew before all of this, or before uh, this movie, and now into a person that is... Uh, asking much deeper questions about reality. He was confronted with asking himself the question of who he really is and who he really wants to be. He was confronted, and he talks about this at length during the documentary, he was confronted with the masks that he was regularly wearing around the world uh, to, to show the world who he was and to try and please the world. Now, uh, hopefully, you're not Jim Carrey at the edge of sanity and at the edge of reality and questioning everything. Hopefully you're not so confused about who you are uh, that you're not sure what people should even call you. But you might not be the person that you think that you should be. You might not react to situations the way that you always want to. Right? You go into a situation with the intention of acting one way and that do another. You might be surprised by emotions or biases that pop up inside yourself. You might be frustrated by the way it sometimes feel like you have no control over your own self, over your own thoughts, feelings, and emotions. Paul actually uh, dealt with something similar. He says it this way. In uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 15, he says, For I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And he goes uh, on, he speaks a little bit more. But he says this, uh, actually, in sort of like the closing of this little section. He said, uh, I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. He paints this very vivid picture of a constant war that is going on within himself. Do you feel the turmoil there? Do you feel the tension? That very same tension chaos, that difficulty lives inside of me. Has this season not shown you that? Like, has being by yourself not revealed a lot about yourself to you? Maybe made you question who you are, maybe made you question the masks that you choose to wear and whether you want to put them back on when we go back to sort of whatever new normal society is. Or even maybe this particular season uh, where we're really asking ourselves collectively questions about police brutality and racism that is still present in this country. Has it not caused you really to question yourself? Now, I'll share, I don't want to get too far off on this, but I actually just this past week watched the entire 45-minute body cam footage uh, from the policeman uh, during the Rayshard Brooks shooting. And I went into it with all these expectations and opinions and the way that I think I should feel and the way that I think I should react. And then as I'm watching it, as I'm watching you know, this situation with real people going down around me, Confronted with the fact that I'm crying at times, 
I'm even like laughing at times, which felt so awful to me that like, I know the end of this video and how awful it is. And yet here I am, you know, enjoying this sort of funny situation. And then I'm confused and then I'm angry and then I'm frustrated and then I'm weeping and just all over the place. And I'm like, oh, Josh, uh, you had this bias. You know, when you're talking to your friends and you're trying to sound like woke or pro progressive or something or better than other people, this one never comes out. You never share this. You're like, Josh, you, or I say, Josh, you have this reaction and that's probably not right. That's probably not healthy. That's probably not biblical. Or Josh, you feel this way and that's surprising to you. Why is that happening? And all throughout this, I'm coming into contact. I'm brushing up against this self that I may not have even realized was there. This self that is buried by layers and layers and layers of masks. But our scripture today tells us that God is not surprised by this self. God is not surprised by this maskless self that, that deep, deep down who I truly am is a person that God knows even better than I know myself. What's really interesting is, uh, you know, we've made knowing yourself kind of an idol at times, right? Like, you know, personality profiles and, uh, you know, getting in touch with your emotions. It can feel like it's become, you know, this end-all be-all to self-actualization as a human. Sometimes even like getting deeper in touch with yourself can become something that precludes God's presence in your life. Like it's more important just to be true to yourself than to actually know the God of the universe who is truth, who created you and loves you. But in reacting to that, I don't want to swing to the opposite side and say that there you know, isn't value in knowing yourself because there is. What we have today in this psalm, in Psalm 139, is some of the most beautiful writing in human history. And it is just a rapturous, joyous moment where David is recognizing that God knows him. And what's amazing to this is he doesn't take like, you know, crazy delight in who he is. This doesn't puff him up filled with pride. This doesn't turn him into some sort of, you know, personality profile monster to be like, this is me, this is who I am, and it's so beautiful, you should love it. No, instead, it turns him back to God. Sort of overwhelming sense, and I'm not going to read through the whole thing, so you should definitely go read through it yourself later. The overwhelming sense is there is something divine about getting to understand just how much God knows you and even getting to understand yourself better. Just a few little snippets that really stood out to me. Verse 1, 2, and 3 say this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You searched out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. God knows you deeply, intimately. He knows what you have done and he knows what you're going to do, which means he, in fact, knows you even better than you know yourself because you don't know what you're going to do tomorrow. You don't know what that deep down person deep inside of you beneath all the masks actually thinks and feels, but God does. He says this in 14. He says, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works something to chew on, especially if you're in one of those moments uh, when you don't feel like you have any value, when you don't have, feel like you are worth anything. Remember, you are fearfully and wonderfully made by the Creator who makes all things wonderful. Wonderful are His works. Then David says this, My soul knows it very well. 
He doesn't say, I know it. He doesn't say, you know, like, I appreciate that knowledge. He says, my soul, the deepest core of my being, knows it well that I am fearfully and wonderfully made by you, God. And then he asks for even more. He concludes this, this, uh, this beautiful poem by saying, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. See, to have God search you, to have God unveil who you truly are, to have God cut through the masks and get to the very core of your being is a step on the path in having him lead you in the way everlasting. There's something inherently beautiful about this. And there's something divinely powerful about knowing yourself. And it's weird because I'm having difficulty talking about it. Uh, It seems like um, it's easy to make the point that if you know yourself more, you know more about your sin and are able to put that to death so that you might be closer to God. And that tearing down some of the masks, tearing down some of the sin that is present in our life can actually reduce the barriers between us and God. And that is one component of knowing yourself that is uh, indispensable to the Christian life. There's also this other component that somehow diving deeper into yourself, uh, better understanding who God made you to be can actually help you to better understand God himself. And I don't really know uh, what it is. Uh, You know, it might have something to do with the fact that we are made in the image of God, but that uh, all of our masks and all of our sin cloud that very image. It might have something to do with the fact that this is kind of like orienteering, right? Like, Like if you're in the woods, you kind of need two pieces of information. You need to be able to see where you're going. You need to be able to like have a target and know where that's at, but you also need to know where you're standing, right? Like you can't just say like, Hey, uh, I know this place is west of here without being able to say where you are. And maybe that's what our Christian path is, a constant state of orienting ourselves and then orient or pointing towards God. And those two things have to work in conjunction with one another. Augustine actually says it this way. He says, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? And he asks, he prays, he says, grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. And in case you think this is just, you know, crazy Augustine writing back in like 400, uh, Calvin actually writes something very similar. He says our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected by many ties, it is not easy to determine which of the two precedes and give birth to the other. See, there's something strange when we're seeking after God. There's this weird sort of symbiotic relationship. It's almost like, you know, you have two separate feet and you are taking two separate steps during this time where you're taking one step where you're getting closer to understanding who God is and you're taking another step where that concurrently reveals more about yourself. And then somehow being able to better understand who you truly are is also helping you to better understand who God truly is. I don't have some sort of grand application or some sort of, you know, big moving kind of, you know, speech to conclude. I simply want to conclude with the idea that in getting to know the creator of the universe better, it is also beautiful uh, 
amazing, miraculous, and helpful to get to know yourself better and get to understand who you truly are. There's lots of tools to help you do that, and uh, if you want to reach out to us, I would love to sort of help you through any of these. Uh, we use the Enneagram a lot around uh, Dwell Church, and it's been very helpful uh, for me and uh, in my relationships to better understand how and why I tend to react to things. It's, you know, not scripture and not infallible, but is a helpful tool. Uh, there's a book called Gift of Being Yourself by David Brenner, uh, which is a super helpful primer, especially if you're just sort of getting into this question of asking, like, what does knowing myself have to do with knowing God? He does a really, really great job in that. And then finally, uh, something that I recommend all the time, especially if you're in a place where you're like, wow, I do wear a lot of masks, or wow, I'm not really sure that I know who I truly am, or wow, uh, how does all of this affect my, you know, spirituality, you should definitely read Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. Uh, if you want to reach out, I will get a copy of that book to you as soon as I possibly can. And finally, may our prayer be, may our hope be found in the words of Paul, that we might experience the joy of growing in knowledge of yourself and the hope of one day, though now we see through a mirror dimly, one day we might be able to know ourselves even as we are known, and that we might be able to know the God of the universe even as he knows us. That's my hope and my prayer for you. Let me know how I can help in any way possible. Other than that, have a great week. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church, so we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.